city of Stockton has a radical plan to institute a universal income for its residents. The governor approved and signed the California budget. And Elon Musk's Tesla says that cap-and-trade rules punish it for doing business in California. That's what's coming up in this week's episode of California Streaming. You're listening to the California Streaming Podcast with Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just three conservative friends trying to provide some counterbalance in one of the most liberal states in the union. So hop on our magic choo-choo train to nowhere and let's talk some California politics. Welcome back, guys. Good afternoon. Episode six. Hello, everybody. Blowing. We're moving. We got a show for you this time. We got a lot of big stuff to talk about. No magic choo-choo train this time, I suppose, but... We should have a count on every episode that the train has not been built. Mm. How high can you count? (laughs) Hopefully, right? I'm going to start wearing my sandals to work uh, so I can count higher. Might be higher than 20. Okay. First on the docket, universal income. So the city of Stockton, California, 27-year-old mayor of Stockton, Michael Tubbs, has... A radical plan that's to a, combat... It's a young mayor. It is. Sorry to cut you off. No, that's I all right. I noticed that. <laughs> He's 27. Uh, he has a radical plan to combat poverty in his cash-strapped city. You mean they were a bankrupt city? Oh, I was going to get into that. We're going to get into no, no, that no. right now. Cash-strapped sounds so much better. <laughs> a no-strings-guaranteed uh, basic income of $500 a month for its residents of up to 1,000 residents. Here we go. Does this solve the problem? 500 bucks. 500 bucks. Is it taxed? <laughs> I would imagine that uh, whatever you buy... Income? That's a great question. Whatever you, whatever you buy, of course, goes to sales tax. Well, do I have to declare it as... I'm sure I have to declare it as income, right? Absolutely. On a 1040? Yes. It creates like this... You're creating like an infinite loop, right? <laughs> you get taxed on the free money that you get so they can give you more free money that you get taxed on, et cetera. Call that feedback in the audio yeah. industry. Well, you, you started with, wait, Stockton? Didn't they declare bankruptcy? They did, in fact, declare Chapter 9 bankruptcy a couple of years ago, uh, back in 2015. They were broke. They... Uh, all of a sudden found themselves to be the Detroit of California. They lived high on the hog, borrowed lots of money, and then found themselves unable to pay back their loans. So then where does this $500 per resident come from? Well, they're always generating income, of course. But, of course, the money is going to come from the citizenry and the hell with you believing in it or not. But so it's coming from tax money? What do you mean there? uh, Sorry. Not to interrupt, but but they're always generating income. Sure. What what do you mean? Well, you know, from sales taxes. And yeah. Okay. Property and, and what have you. Yeah. Right. They're not like selling goods and services. Do they need a bake sale at this point. Hey, <laughs> that would go over pretty well. Right. Make some pies, brownies. It, it's an interesting concept because I think it gets super deep. We've talked about oftentimes how minimum wage has inflated the true cost of what a service is, right? So a little example would be if we gonna if we're gonna pay fifteen dollars to somebody who flips burgers, fifteen dollars an hour to somebody that flips burgers, 
everything around it inflates because now we've got to create some separation between the person that flips hamburgers and the person that says uh, drives an ambulance or a paramedic or something like that. We're starting, if we make the baseline $15, everything's automatically inflated by $15. And I feel like the same is true for universal income. If we're going to inflate everybody by just as little bit as $500 a month, I mean, you see the logical conclusion. This is an 18-month experiment that, if successful, will probably only lead to more of these kinds of experiments. Right. Over in Finland, they gave this a go, and they... They raised money from the private sector to do their little experiment. Now, they actually haven't come out with their own findings yet, but essentially no one really benefited from it in the long run. They had a very limited uh, clientele or recipients of this money, just like they would have in Stockton, and none of them really were lifted out of poverty. They just had the same problems over and over again. Now, when it comes to universal income, You have to live with the fact that these people can spend it on whatever they they deem necessary. So it's rent or food or... Yeah, no, (laughs) and I would argue that's actually, that's a great component of it. Uh, We could play it here in a second, but that that gets into a little bit of like Milton Friedman and, and others have came up with a concept of a negative income tax, right? Which... In some ways, it's a universal income by a different name, although there is phased out depending on how much you made, etc. And that was his main point. It, if you don't mind, let me let me play that to kind Go of ahead. set the to set the baseline for this. One second. The proposal for a negative income tax is a proposal to help poor people by giving them money, which is what they need, rather than as now by requiring them to come before a governmental official, detail all their assets and their liabilities, and be told that you may spend X dollars on rent, Y dollars on food, et cetera, and then be given a handout. And it's that first part. They're getting money. That's actually what they need, right? So I, I kind of like the concept of if we're going to give, if we're going to institute welfare, what they really need is cash, and let's make them a market participant as quickly as possible. Back when Hurricane Katrina happened, FEMA came out and gave the citizens that were directly affected $500 gift cards in which they could use to buy food, shelter, what have you. And then reports came out that people were taking out money at strip clubs. And boy, did everybody get a little bit pissed that that was happening. But, but that couldn't have happened because that wasn't the design of the money. And, but, but I, I joke, but, but that's the point, right? Is, and I think that was Friedman's point is if you put all of these restrictions, et cetera, or, or rules, uh, you're not leaving it up to people to choose how they should spend the money. I'm going to guess that that money that was coming to them was in addition to any other sort of welfare, whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially we already have negative income uh, when it comes to food stamps, when it comes to WIC and uh, uh, housing assistance and what have you. That's right, but there's a governmental body that in 
technically is putting guardrails around that money. And it's, and it's a government body that's overlooking everything saying, we know how much you need to spend on X, Y, Z. So we're only going to give you money that can only be used at a grocery store for this or that. So it's the personal responsibility of the people who receive it to spend the money appropriately. So they have to make sure that they don't wind up lying in the gutter. So if they end up spending it on frivolous things, it should I thus look down upon them and say, that's your own fault, buddy. And I don't know too much about the technology that goes into regulating what's on your register receipt at the grocery store when using a benefit card, right? I don't know what kind of check goes into that. If it's just, if you're using it at Vons or Ralph's, it's all good. If it's just like tobacco and alcohol that gets flagged, it doesn't let you do it. I don't know what, what the tech is on that. But I will know, or I do know that there's a really common trick that people do with um, with credit cards that have some kind of rewards program to them. So, for instance, American Express offers a, a credit card that gives you two or three times points at the grocery store. Well... I would love to get two or three times points on everything I purchase on Amazon. So what you do is you go to the grocery store and you purchase an Amazon gift card. You get three times grocery points because you purchased it at Ralph's or Vaughn's or Albertson's. And then you take it online and you buy whatever you want and you essentially got your three times points for that. That's super common with rewards cards. So we talk about frivolous things and it shows, oh, Bobby used his you know, benefit card at Vaughn's well, what did Bobby buy at Vons? Did you buy a gift card that got you to, you know, a Black Angus gift card or an Amazon gift card or just a general Visa card, a Visa gift card that you could then go purchase booze and alcohol with? Well, first, I didn't know you could do this, so there's going to be steaks on the docket now at Black Angus. Right. <laughs> making me hungry here. But let me let me say the personal responsibility and work opportunity reconciliation Reconciliation Act of 1996, the work for welfare. It was a huge success back when they passed it under Clinton. Uh, the, the premise was, of course, that welfare in and of itself ran uh, was only for a short given amount of time. It was usually around two years. You couldn't be on welfare for the rest of your life. And you were encouraged to go out and find work. We're not expected to be uh, uh, leech on, off the system as uncolorful as that is. So why aren't we instituting that bill once again? Obviously, the the original author of that bill is still in Congress. It's John Kasich. He wrote that bill, and he could reintroduce it, and we could finally have something. Now, we we have the unemployment insurance which was bumped from 13 weeks to 99 weeks. And even though jobs are coming back, it's still at 99 weeks. It hasn't fallen back to the pre-recession 13 weeks that it used to be. So we're actually encouraging people to be unemployed so that they can do whatever it is that they want to do during this time period. Why are we not insisting that we go to the... uh, a work for welfare program back in the back in the day. I think part of it too, as it comes down to universal income, what 
What defines kind of the base wage or what you need to survive, right? We've discussed this before. It's like, do I need to give you enough money um, to maintain a certain quality of life, to just pay your bills, to pay essential bills? And then who defines that? To give you money to pay those bills, plus have some money to like have fun because everyone needs to have fun, right? Or money to just go hang out with your friends, save, vacation. Like what is the livable wage? What what goes into that definition? And then how much are we going to finance of it? Well, let's, tech, let's talk dollars and let's talk cents, right? If I were to give everybody in this country $1, there's 330 million of us, $300 million uh, that goes into this fund for every dollar that we spend. Multiply that by whatever base monthly amount we have times the year. Holy cow, this thing can get really out of control really quick. And that then goes to the question, is this, let, let's take it federally for a second, right? Because obviously this is introduced in Stockton, but, but the concept is being talked about everywhere, right? So take that, and now it goes to, it goes to two areas. One, it is what is the right dollar amount? Like, Louis, if, if 500 bucks is good... Is a thousand bucks is better. Right. Well, then 10,000, right? Even better than that. But on top of that, is this an add on or is this a replacement of the current welfare system? And that's a critical question to all of this. I, and, and, it, and it goes a little bit back to what do, we, what do we want to see in terms of a safety net and welfare system? In America, let's start with the premise, at least for right now, that okay, there is one. There's going to be one. In general, the citizens agree we should have a safety net. I then see the allure of the of the point that Friedman makes of what they really want is cash. Get cash into their hands to make them a market participant, a true market participant, where they have to exercise personal responsibility, but they can spend the money that they get on medicine, food, or vices. Just go straight to that point, and you've eliminated a lot of overhead and bureaucracy. I'm a big proponent of eliminating bureaucracy. Right. So I tend to think that this is a good idea in and of itself of replacing those items. But robbing Peter to pay Paul is another issue in and of itself. Yes. You got another clip for me? When you say that, Friedman talks about the same thing. Let's listen to this. If I'm going to do good with other people's money, I first have to take it away from them. That means that the welfare state philosophy of doing good with other people's money, at its very bottom, is a philosophy of violence and coercion. It's against freedom because I have to use force to get the money. In the second place, very few people spend other people's money as carefully as they spend their own. That's true. It's very true. And probably, I mean, this gets really nuanced, but you could probably argue on the margin, if I have cash in my hand, I'm going to be a little more, If I, I have maximum opportunity, right? If someone gave me the cash, obviously, the, the first point is, is true. I had to take it from someone else to get it for myself. Okay. But if I have pure cash in my hand and I have a lot of options of where to spend it, I might treat it differently than, well, you are forcing me to spend it on this, this, and this. 
the mentality changes, right? So on the margin, I'd say that that second part has improved a little bit maybe if it's pure cash versus some program on a credit card. Now, do you give it to every single person who is a citizen of your city? Right. That's a whole means testing question, right? You know, because the whole joke about Alaska is you move there, you get $2,000 for being a citizen because the oil companies take all the uh, oil and distribute it out. But in actuality, you have to live there a set number of years in order to qualify for that benefit. And you actually have to apply for it. I would make the argument, at least maybe, maybe in a small way, but it certainly is different. That has a private enterprise element to it in which the funds are being, albeit a tax, but the funds are being created and generated by taxing a private enterprise who's selling a good and service into the marketplace. What we're talking about here is just the loop of taxation and redistribution, taxation and redistribution of the people. Right, and I, I, the old death spiral. <clears throat> I love how uh, in his book, Friedman gives basically four ways in which you can spend money, right? And the first way is you can spend your own money on yourself. And when you do that, you really watch what you're doing, right? And you try to get the most out of your money. And the second way is you can spend your money on somebody else. Um, for instance, like buying a birthday present for someone. Then uh, you're not so careful about the content of the present, but you're very careful about the cost usually. The third way is you can spend somebody else's money on myself. And if I spend somebody else's money on myself, then I'm sure going to have a pretty good lunch. And then finally, you could spend somebody else's money on somebody else. And if you spend somebody else's money on somebody else, then you're not really concerned about how much it is and you're not concerned about what you get. And that's the inherent problem. That's California, right? right? If I get to spend your money on even a third party, what do I really care about the quality of service delivered to that third party? It wasn't my money to begin with. Potholes. True. And I feel like that's that's those sorts of issues are at the core of the universal income debate, right? It's other people's money. What's the efficiency behind it? What's the end way that the money was generated? And speaking of California spending other people's money, the Bobby, Cal- take us into our next segment. So our wonderful Governor Moonbeam signed uh, a new budget into, uh, into the legislature, approved mostly along party lines on June 15th, along with several rel- uh Related budget trailer bills. The measure calls for $122 billion in general fund spending and 44 in special funding, which really comes out to about $200 billion when it comes with all the rider bills that come along with it. So one of the big things here is that we're not addressing the big issue. This year, we're going to go back into deficit spending. We got uh, a whole new batch about $2 billion of deficit spending that uh, came out of this bill. Whereas the previous years were doing pretty well. We had a little extra and a little extra. We were flat. And then the years before that, we were talking about $20 billion in, in deficit spending, which doesn't address the real problem that we have in this state, which is the quote-unquote wall of debt that we have, the unlisted amount of money that is actually the uh, 
the real debt in this day. We we say that we have twenty billion in debt. That's a lie. We actually have four hundred forty three billion in debt. Uh, the wall builds upon a smaller official one, including the following: retirement benefit debt, bond debt, deferred infrastructure maintenance, deferred payments, federal unemployment funds. You name it. Retirement benefit debt, unfunded pension liabilities. Right. I mean that is the huge unspoken debt in the state. But do you guys realize I, I was doing some reading for this um, for this budget discussion? I think I'm reading this right. In 2011 and 12, the general fund spending was 86 billion, and in the 2018-2019 budget, it's 140 billion. We've increased our general fund spending 65-ish percent in like six years. How is that even possible? I mean, I, I could see how it's possible, but that's ludicrous. Well, and at the same time, we've passed bond measures and taxes and everything, things that you would think would offset some of that, right? But I think part of it, part of it has to be pension liability. That's gone up. You know, that there was a giant chunk of time when uh, CalPERS had cities uh, seven years or so had cities not contribute to the pension liability because the economy was doing so well that PERS told the cities, you don't have to make the employee contribution. And so what happened was these cities just kept spending or these municipalities kept spending. Seven years later, PERS came back and said, hey, the economy's not doing so hot. We need you to start putting in your piece of the pie again. And nobody budgeted for it. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Because it wasn't, you're never going to have to pay again. It's just, hey, you can take the next few years off. And everybody spent like they never had to pay into retirement again. Another item is deferred maintenance. Uh, if you go to your local uh, county supervisor, pick one, you, you'll have two, two of this variety. One who's only there for looking for higher office. And the other one actually cares about the county that they serve. And those ones are actually very concerned about deferred maintenance. We've been putting off our maintenance on our roads and bridges and infrastructure for a very long time. And it comes hand in hand with the pensions that Louis was talking about. But in actuality, we've been just kicking this can down the road for a very, very long time. We raise a lot of funds through bond measures, but we're not actually accomplishing the set rules and goals that we put out for ourselves. Case in point, a lot of bridges are starting to fall apart. We were overspending on items that we shouldn't otherwise overspend on. And it's just become this mess that we can't dig ourselves out of. You know what I started to think when I read this budget and, and seeing how spending is going? We should start putting odds on uh, and guesstimations on how long the rainy day fund's going to last, especially under Gavin Newsom, Right. Because what Jerry Brown quote unquote helped us build this this rainy day fund, I forget the the total size of it. It's I don't know fifteen billion or or it's sizable. It just strikes me that especially looking at these numbers that we see one hundred forty billion in general spending, they could zero that thing in about two days, right? I mean, when some new pro- opportunity arises. Um, I understand that there. I, I'm not an expert, but there's probably on the books. There's probably technically stipulations that prevent them 
Well, from, from constitutionally, they, they yeah, have to balance the budget every year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they balance it by borrowing money. This just goes back to my skepticism, though, about them being uh, able to do any sort of actual accounting. That's Well, that's something that we're talking about, you know, cost-based accounting or accrual-based accounting. We're doing it wrong, which is why we ended up coming up with this $443 billion wall of debt. It's just we're we're taking in money and not accruing for it properly. We're, we're not recognizing it in the uh, grand scheme of it all. We're, we're thinking that this is a never-ending pot of money that will continuously come in and we can continue kicking things down the road. I mean, we, we borrow like nobody's business. Uh, I think officially the state's underfunded pensions and retirements are around $218 billion. That sounds, I, I've seen numbers that, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, and just so people know, when it comes to CalPERS, every dollar is broken into three different chunks. So uh, 61 cents of that dollar is from investment earnings, and then 26 cents is from the employers, and then 13 cents is from the members. You mean like on a monthly contribution when, when someone puts away just the money. shared responsibility of oh, PERS in general. I, yeah. I guess if you just wanted to look at percentages-wise, 61% is from investment earnings, 26 is from the employer, and then 13% is from the employee paying in. And on a telltale sign, right, that there's a problem, on the investment side, I think just this last year, they decremented the projected rate of return that they're going to be assuming. For I mean... Right for they, they the know 16, something's off. The sixteen seventeen year, their um, their return was about eleven percent. So, you know, here's the hard part: as I've always been, and we've discussed this, John. I, I've always been a proponent of maybe they need a better return on the system than going uber safe. I understand it's retirements, but going too safe and getting no return versus maybe a little riskier or going into something that gets you a better return. We talked about it a couple episodes ago, right? With uh, Chang and risk and, and reward right. in, the, in the cannabis industry. It's hard to break that, that general trend, right? You, if you want to earn something, you've got to put a little risk on the table. Yeah. It's, it's all about your checking account versus a very risky investment. Right. And yeah, they're in a pickle. They, they, they need returns, right? To to they need greater returns than they're currently getting to shore up this to try and even shore up this gap. Though I don't think it can be done at this point with just return on investments. But yet they need the safety to pay out the current liabilities that they have for the people that they owe. Just wait until they put all the pension funds into the state-owned bank. Oh, now 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 that'll solve everything. <laughs> No, 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 no. This is subsidized good. by pot owners. Yeah, no, no. This that all works. That might be where this, it ends up going. This all works, guys. This I like this. Calpers money going to the state bank. You got to go to the Bank of California to get your money because there'll be no greater return than loaning money to build shelters that no private bank would loan to. That's got to be a great return, right? <laughs> Has to be, and not FDIC insured. None of that. No, no, not needed. Next one, Elon Musk says that the new state rules punish it from doing business in California. The only large-scale car manufacturer in California argues that doing business in the state 
is hard enough without fast developing labor regulations backed by organizations that want to unionize its Fremont plant. Elon Musk's Tesla is fighting the rule under development by two state agencies that would require it to be certified as a fair and responsible workplace for its customers to be eligible for taxpayer-based state electronic vehicle rebates. Okay. I'm sorry, but I don't care at all in terms of I don't feel bad for this guy at all. You're talking about a dude who... Tough language. Yeah, don't care. This guy built the car business that he has. I'm not saying he didn't have capital and put some of his capital at risk, definitely. But you're talking about a guy who built this business in the the industry that he's in on heavily subsidized uh, programs to sell his cars, loans from the state and the feds. The fact that he's now upset that they're produced, that they're going to levy regulations, and in this case that he doesn't like, when we got things levied on us to fund him, and now he's upset that they're turning around and trying to constrain him, and he's, give me a break. He just came out not too long ago and laid off 9% of his workforce during a factory because he couldn't make it all work. Uh, some double dipping in different employment, uh, accounting, you didn't need all this overhead people. So he ended up cutting it off, makes a little extra money on the uh, stock price, and all is well in the world again. But essentially, he's complaining about cap and trade. And it's not working for him, even though he's an electric car company. He's still a manufacturer, and they still have to play this stupid rule because they came out with dumb rules uh, attached to the cap and trade system. So what is a fair and responsible workplace and why does he have a problem with qualifying for it? It, it I mean, on its surface, it just sounds like junk sacramental language, right? For a unionized workforce is, is my understanding, right? They, they want, uh, they want to be unionized as sort of, uh, what was our workers, the auto workers, auto workers, oh, United union. Autos work, United uh, Auto, auto workers. workers. Uh, they're the only car manufacturer, of course, in this in this nation that isn't beholden to that. Now, of course, if we were a right to work state, that wouldn't be a problem. But difference in different states, he may pick up and just move his business elsewhere if he doesn't feel that he's getting the right return from the state of California. Yeah, it's interesting, right? And and again. There's probably details in all of the subsidized uh, subsidy programs that he's taking advantage of. Some of that may change, right? If he decides to switch states, does he have access to the same uh, uh, rebates, et cetera, for the cars that he sells? Well, in- Boeing did this from Washington where they just moved their plant over, I believe it was Alabama. Possibly Texas? One of the Carolinas, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, right. But I know what you're talking anyway, about. Anyway, they, they move it from a high-wage state, which they're being taxed to death in addition to the high wage, and they move it to another state that's far more friendly in taxes, and then they continue to say, we're still made in America. We still have that moniker label right on there. And it's... it's 
they can carry it and say, look, we brought jobs. We're doing our, our best to uh, do right according to our shareholders and our workers, and they have a better quality of life over in this state now. Well, it's funny how the Air Resources Board is now morphing into a union hit squad. Like, well, interesting. <laughs> well, I feel like they're getting, they're kind of overstepping what they're designed to do. Like, they're basically saying, well, you need to qualify for XYZ first, you know, and forcing them into being a, a fair and responsible workplace when the alternative is just going to move out of state. You know, and so you wonder at a certain point, again, it's kind of like my argument with uh, with going after the utilities in times of natural disaster. Is it a good thing to drive more business out of the state? Funny that you said that because when it comes to the ARB, they just raised, uh, they're, they're aiming towards about a billion dollars every quarter from their cap and, tra- uh, cap and trade scheme. That's money that's going into the coffers. We don't get that money. Exactly. But they do. So we're looking at about a $4 billion tax, which gets passed on to the consumer for ultimately whatever right. organization is paying into the system. Back to the point that the corporation does not pay taxes. You ultimately are going to pay the tax. Taxes. That's all I do around here. This is my job. But is it working? The, the dirty secret of all cap-and-trade schemes, is that we drive businesses to either bankrupt themselves or move. And the dirty secret is they move to where, the in, where they're allowed to pollute with no regard. We're talking India. We're talking China. Places where the pollution is so thick, you can literally reach out and grab it. Where they have to shut down. Yeah, well, wasn't it for the towns? the Olympics yeah. when uh, the Olympics were in China? Yeah, they took what was it the entire week before the Olympics started, and they basically turned off all plants, all op- manufacturing operations. Everything was a standstill, right, to try right. and clear the air. Well, not only that, they also seeded the clouds so that it would rain and get some of that uh, carbon out of the atmosphere. So. Uh, the state released a con- uh, concept paper on May 23rd that described broadly how the agencies might enforce the rule. It would give companies two years or more or less uh, so to it would give companies two years to more or less self-certify as fair and responsible workplaces, quote unquote, before bringing in more oversight. It asks that companies report on workplace injuries, labor complaints, and non-discrimination standards. The agencies accepted comments on the paper through June 4th. Um, if anything, labor organizations want the state to move faster in trying in tying electrical vehicle rebates to the labor practices of car manufacturers. So it's kind of, there's got to be more to it because I feel like it's a weird hill to die on. This self-certified fair workplace standards that are kind of already in place. Like OSHA pretty much requires most of this stuff anyways, reporting on injuries, complaints, and uh, I guess the labor board would be complaints and then non-discrimination standards. I feel like all this is already done. I don't, I guess I don't know why Tesla is choosing this, this hill to kind of 
Well, isn't it interesting that the left's favorite billionaire is the one who's complaining about California's erroneous laws? I mean, he's he's bringing something up that they're wrong about something. They're not all-knowing and powerful. He's a crony capitalist. He wants to utilize the power of government to support his business and is fine being in, with be- in bed with them so long as they direct their wallet towards him. But the opposite's happening here, so now he's not. So should we cut off all subsidies, tar and feather them, run them out? Well, he's also, you know, involved in the state just through SpaceX. Right. So, you know, he also launches his space projects out of Santa Barbara County. Uh, he does spend a lot of time in this state. And maybe there's a little bit of, I kind of absorbed NASA from you guys. So why are you coming down? You know, it's part of the crony capitalist side of it. Uh, back to the uh, the cap and trade aspect, right, of this, Bobby, that you mentioned. You might know a little bit more about this than I, but I was reading that so far a lot of people are considering the program as it is and as it's been going in California quite, quote-unquote, successful, right, because it's brought in. How much did you say? Did you say how much it's brought in? It's almost generating about a billion dollars a quarter, almost. It depends on the quarter and sales and what happens. But again, going going into California's coffers to then be turned around and spent on – Right, uh, em- emission-friendly projects. That's right. Again, I'm sure the, the high-speed rail. I'm sure. Yeah. In you some had way, to bring the yeah. train in. No, no, no. I, I'm sure that that somehow gets shoehorned and qualifies for access to that money. It has to. I mean, no. Yeah. You know, we talked about this before. This is back to the the land where I get to wave a magic wand, but. I can't say I can't say that I totally uh disagree with the concept of again it's kind of back to the safety net thing we mentioned but in this case it's it's pollution etc. If we're all going to sit at the table and agree okay there's pollution there's things that you guys are doing when you drive that affect me and then vice versa. Having this some sort of a system to uh try and use market forces to limit that, right? But it becomes different when we use market forces to limit that and we're all paying in based on what we use to this coffer. But then the coffer gets evenly divided back out to us, right? It's just a pass-through mechanism. And, and some people have actually, there's a group who brought that idea federally as a cap-and-trade program that essentially was that. People are going to have to pay in for the amount of quote-unquote carbon, tons of carbon that they use, there'll be, famous last words, but there'll be a small overhead for just the collection of that, and then there'll be a straight distribution of even checks to everybody, right? So in theory, you use very little to start with. You might get a bigger check back than what you actually spent in. And then the, the flip is true. And it's, right, when you think about it, it's simply using market forces, to try and curb behavior or read or, or change where the money goes, depending on who affects people more than others. But that's obviously not what this is. And that's probably not what any sort of cap and trade implemented system would be on a federal level. Right. 
No, because that's always going to have the tyrannical property of government right. kind of dictating the rules of the game. Well, he, uh, Elon Musk might decide to do exactly what the dirty scheme is, is to move his factory away from California, move it into a neighboring state, maybe Nevada, for example, because he's got his battery plant over there. And then all of a sudden he no longer has to live by this cap-and-trade program. The cap-and-trade program loses on the fact that the that the plant moved. And they will no longer be paying into the system. And the state loses because it loses workers who are generating income from their wages. And thus, and also in a whole, Tesla might start polluting more because they've gone to a state where they're not tied to this stupid cap and trade deal. Now they might not because that's not what they're dealing with. They're trying to be trying to be better stewards for the environment, but pass that along to different corporations and they may in fact want to move on out of California and go somewhere where it's a lot more friendly. I feel like I'm about to ask a question that I'm a bad Californian because I don't know. But did we, did we, was that a prop? Did we vote to institute the cap and trade system? I don't, I see, I don't remember. Well, they they passed it in the legislature. Remember I was talking about Chad Mays? Oh, yes, and yes, he yes. He died yes. on a hill. Was yes. Not long, no longer being able to uh, That's right. serve as the Republican leader because he just sold us all out. That's right. Yeah, so Prop 70 comes back and adds the accountability side of it, which we just voted on in this last election. Cementing it into place. You cannot get rid of it now. I believe it will also take a two-thirds vote to get it out of here. Well, I I think if we use uh, Seattle as a base, you might get some backpedaling if somebody like Elon makes enough of a scene about it. We saw with Amazon in Seattle, Seattle voted on a new tax and then Amazon made a big scene about it. And now all of a sudden Seattle's stepping the tax back. That's right. They just canceled it. They just canceled it. It was a tax out of nowhere. It was like, Oh, it was to solve this homeless problem. Yeah. Because you exist, we're going to tax you special. Yeah. Seattle it was called a head tax. It was designed to help fund the city's effort to solve its homelessness problem and would have charged large companies $275 per full-time employee every year. It was originally 500 <laughs> which came out to a, a pretty hefty sum because that's what started the whole, let's find a second headquarters, wink, wink. Once we establish it, we're out of here. We'll just move the whole caboose. You know what's funny to me is... It's another instance where they don't, I can't tell if they know and have thought through the, the, the negative business ramifications of what they're doing or if they're really truly ignorant to, to the, the natural effects that a tax like that will or would have. Well, in Seattle, hyper-liberal, right. right? And they've got Starbucks and Amazon in town and they've got a giant homeless problem that's the result of liberal legislation, just like it is in California, we have the same exact major problem. And they say, well, we'll just stick it to the corporations at $275 an employee. It's the Detroit model. <laughs> I, so I've got a clip of Gavin Newsom. Apparently, I forget uh, how long ago this was. Um, Gavin Newsom, when he was the mayor in San Francisco, 
they introduced a biotech tax credit. Listen to this. We also have the benefit of a report that was done about the success of our biotech tax credit. And it basically concluded that the cost of the credit has been de minimis compared to the benefits of the credit. Are you, are you serious? So, so this guy is saying tax credit good because it brought business to the area. Makes total sense. And they, then they don't think that the flip? Well, I, 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 I came for the tax credit. I stayed for Gavin Newsom. Yeah. I mean, is that a t-shirt that I could have bought or something? Well, it's the same thing we do with tax credits uh, with Hollywood, right? And it was, well, we're going to get rid of all the Hollywood tax credits. Okay, great. So then Hollywood went to Albuquerque. It went to Canada. It went to Atlanta. Made in Georgia. Yeah. Huge, huge epicenters for filming now. And you look at like entire franchises, like almost every Marvel movie going back maybe 15 years ago, all the Marvel movies were filmed in Manhattan Beach Studios where they basically set up camp. Everyone that worked in Manhattan Beach Studios was just working on one Marvel movie after another for about a decade. And having a job for 10 years in the motion picture industry is huge. That doesn't happen unless you're on some series that just lasts for forever. But even then, you're only working for maybe like six months out of the year. We got rid of the tax credits and they said, fine, we're just going to pick up and move somewhere else. And I don't think people realize that when you kick Hollywood out, especially in L.A., you're getting rid of all the lumber yards. All those sets are made out of wood. All the lumber that's being bought, all the supplies that are being bought, the people being employed, the local agent area restaurants and shops and mom-and-pop places that benefit from locations coming into their neighborhoods, all the location properties that are being paid. When you take away a tax credit, everyone leaves. And I don't think the government or even John Q. Public realizes they just think, oh, man, Hollywood, a bunch of millionaires, outspoken millionaires. Why do we need to give them tax credits? It costs me 15 bucks to go see a movie. They don't realize the wide scale implications is a domino effect. I mean, we almost lost the porn industry. Over a condom (laughs) law in the San Fernando Valley, right? So even that, you just have consenting adults wanting to do their thing, however you feel on the issue of pornography. But why are we intervening in there? And it's actually, if you look at it, it's one of the industries that's pretty well-regulated when it comes to a lot of the health stuff, like getting checks and things like that and disease. And we came out of nowhere and gave them some stupid condom tax. It all did was drive money out of the valley. It's just, yeah, it's just really hard for me to tell sometimes whether, again, like with the Gavin Newsom thing, they obviously saw he knew tax credit will bring biotech great. So when they do the opposite, do they think that the opposite won't happen? Or do they know it will and don't care because they want the political it only goes points? One or, way. It must. No, it, yeah, it must. It must. But I'm bummed. James is is it that time for the James Woods tweet of the week? Yeah, so we haven't replaced the clip yet. At some point, we're going to find a new one. Yeah. Okay. This one, pretty good. So, Kyle Chenny tweets out. Who is that? Do we know? Don't know. Just a random person. 
I picked it because you'll see who responded to it here in a second. But this person says, the IG found that on numerous occasions, Comey used a personal Gmail account to conduct official FBI business, according to source briefed on the report. The one and only Hillary Clinton responded, but my emails. Now, obviously, I added the sound effect, but let me say, but my emails. And my emails. So James Wood says, yes, your emails, they destroyed you. Now go back to bed. <laughs> Again, a tweet that can only be delivered by Mr. James Woods. Maybe we will keep this sound clip. It's, not ha- it's, it's kind of growing up. We'll discuss it offline. <laughs> well, everyone, thanks for listening this week. New episodes released Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. You can download us on the Apple iTunes podcast store or on Google Play. Thanks sure again, you, everybody. Make sure you tell your friends. Bye-bye.